you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. This podcast has been designed to share the real stories behind success, to really explore where people's ideas and visions started, and even looking back now on the consistency between um, their life story and the work that they are ultimately doing. And my latest guest is an absolute example of that. What do you think happens when you align your lifelong passion with your business? Well, Clint Salter, my next guest, can tell you exactly what happens. For him, he's impacted over 800,000 children every single week. He is celebrated as a finalist in the New South Wales Australia Export Awards. He's a sought-after keynote speaker, and he's able to contribute so much more on a global scale. Clint Salter is an award-winning entrepreneur who started his first business at the age of 16. And by the age of 28, he'd founded and sold three companies, along with being named the youngest senior celebrity agent here in Australia. And if that isn't enough, he's a sought-after keynote speaker and best-selling author of two books. Today, Clint is the founder and CEO of the Dance Studio Owners Association. This is the largest community of dance studio owners worldwide. And he's got clients including the top 20% of dance studio owners across the globe. He's helped over 32,000 dance studio owners to navigate growth and impact their local communities while being able to uh, create a successful business and life. Clint started life here in Sydney. He is now building his dream business over in Miami, and the impact shows. His impact includes reaching, as I said, over 800,000 children every single week through the work that he does with his dance studio owner clients. And that's actually the largest impact that any dance educator has within the industry. He's a firm believer in giving back. He has worked with World Teacher Aid to build a performing arts classroom in Africa. He's an educator and, more importantly, a learner. He knows the value of how the arts can transform the lives of children everywhere, and he can't wait to bring the gift of education to children in need. In this podcast, we talk all about where that dream started, where his passion started, and he shares this uh, uh, innate ability to constantly be curious, and he shares that we should all be curious about the world around us. He advises all of us to never stop anything that makes us happy and to live a truthful life and to always allow your truth to bubble to the surface. Please enjoy this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. All the way from Miami, please welcome my guest, Clint Salter. Welcome to today's podcast, Clint Salter, all the way from Miami. It's so wonderful to have you on today's chat. How are you doing? Janine, always a pleasure to hear your voice. I am well, I am so well that I'm talking to you. Thanks for having me. 
This is one of the uh, wonderful things about podcast conversations. Is it doesn't matter where we are in the world. We can we can catch up. We can have a good chinwag and uh, create some awesome content. So um, I'm loving having you here. I met you, gosh, what would it be? About eight years ago, I think, at the Swiss Hotel in Sydney when we were both doing one-on-one coaching. Those were the days, you know, I miss I miss those chicken burgers. I miss getting <laughs> I miss getting hotel food every day sitting at the Swiss Hotel, let me tell you. And look at you now, I cannot wait to share uh, the journey of you and some of the things you're doing now. But just so our listeners um, can get to know a little bit more about you, some very quick fire questions. Where are you originally from, Clint? So I'm originally from, I grew up in Camden, which is about 50 minutes southwest of Sydney. And your first job? Can you remember first, that? Yeah, I remember that first job was at McDonald's. I was the first male person they ever put on the, the front uh, cash register uh, at Norellan at McDonald's. Uh, and I lasted about nine months and I was like, I hate this. And I obviously got bullied by all the men at the back because I was the only guy at the front. And uh, I loved eating the McChicken and the, all the fries at the end of the shift, but uh didn't love it enough to keep me there. <laughs> Did you how many how many stars? Do they have the star system for staff in McDonald's? I do not think I lasted long enough to get a, a star. I mean, I was I was in quick and I was out pretty quick as well. Brilliant. Now, books, do you prefer digital or hard copy? I actually prefer audio books. Like that is my, I go for a walk every morning. I do about a 90 minute walk around our little bay and stuff that we've got going on here. And uh, I love, I just love audio. So audio books is kind of my, my jam. Excellent. And what is the favorite audio book that you've listened to recently that, that really left an impression on you? Do you have, have a favorite at the moment? So look, my favorite actually was Powerhouse. Now, this is a very random book, by the way, and it goes for about, I think it's 28 hours of audio. And it is the story of CAA, which is the creative artist agency in the USA and tracks kind of the, the starting of CAA and the, the journey of CAA. And it talks to all their agents and their talent. And it was it took me about a month to listen to it, but it was such an incredible book. Really good. Well, I have to check that one out. And what is it that you do now? So what I do now is I'm the founder and CEO of the Dance Studio Owners Association, DSOA. And my mission is to help studio owners become the CEO of their business and, and really bridge that gap from being a dance teacher and um, stepping into to the role of a, a business owner, and we do that through online programs and events and coaching and training. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Got an awesome team to help us execute on that mission as well. Love that, and I can't wait to uh, to unlock some of the learnings that uh, that you've gained over the years of working with that community. But let's let's take a few steps back and let's go back to to Camden when you were. Uh, a kid. Can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yes, I do. I wanted to be a teacher. So I always, always wanted to be a teacher. My nan was a primary school teacher 
and that gene got passed on to me. And I remember when I was doing, I think it was like in year six, you do like like a mini work experience um, stint. And I went to a local primary school and uh, another primary school and I was like teaching them dance and I was like running classes and the teacher like left me for like an hour with her class and I was like, like I love this. I love teaching. So I always wanted to be a teacher. I actually went to university to do dance education because I thought I was going to be a dance teacher in high schools. Um, and I lasted four weeks at university. I hated it. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's kind of what I wanted to be. And I'm lucky that I'm, I'm really living that dream in a different, in a different area. I'm not a primary school teacher, but I get to teach and work with incredible studio owners every day. And how how do you think that that childhood uh, community that you grew up in has shaped who you are now in terms of how how you're going about your life and how you're going about your work? Oh yeah, I mean Camden, you know, I call it out in the bush. I mean Camden is you know a country a country town, although there's a lot of great things uh, that that have modernised it over the last few years. Uh, it was really tough growing up. You know, I, I remember primary school, I remember high school and being a, a a boy, a male who was in choir and was in dance group. Like I was the only, you know, I was the only guy in dance group going through primary school. And so I was, uh, I was pinpointed for a lot of bullying during school, but I remember my nan very vividly and, and she was a big part of my life until she passed away when I was 15 and I was going to leave dance group because I was over it. I was like so sick of like every day. I can't even imagine if there was social media back then, what that would have done to me. But like just during the school day and I said, Nan, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm done with dance. I'm done with choir. I think I'm going to go play soccer or something. And she said, Clint, does it make you happy? And I was like, it does. And she's like, never, never stop, never stop anything that makes you happy. And uh, a few years later, I had the same conversation with my mom and she's like, but aren't you happy? I was like, I'm so happy. And she's like, keep doing what brings you joy. And I think about that probably every single day, you know, when I end the day and I think to myself, was today a happy day? Like, did I do something that made me happy or bring me joy? It's a really good barometer of, of how I'm um, tracking through life. So, so that's definitely been the biggest lesson I learned from those early days back at Camden Primary School and, and Camden High School is to live a, a really truthful life that is built on this foundation of, you know, times of joy and happiness. What wonderful words of wisdom there. And um, I'm sure so many people are resonating with that. And, you know, when you, when you look at your career of, of moving from, um, as you said, you went to university, you were in the performing arts, uh, you've built and sold businesses, you've worked in entertainment, uh, looked after uh, Jersey Boys as the touring manager, worked here in Australia, gone to <laughs> the US, you know, in in the, we could look at that and go, you know, how awesome, how, how Clint has, has progressed and unleashed his brilliance and following his dream. But I'm, I'm imagining that there have been moments where you've had to seriously 
take those words of your nan of, you know, do something that makes you happy and you've potentially had to re-engineer or reimagine what you're doing. Can you remember a particular watershed moment when that happened? I sure can. So you, you mentioned Jersey Boys and, you know, as I was in my early 20s, I started a business called Dance Life. I worked at uh, the Harry M. Miller Group as a senior agent and I always, I loved musical theatre and I always had this dream of like, being the business brains behind a musical. And uh, I went to New York one year and I met with a couple of producers and I was like, you know, I want to do like this. What is this job? And they were like, oh, that's like a company manager or or a touring manager. You should go back home, talk to producers and see if there's any openings because it's really well aligned with your experience as an agent, like transferring as a, as a company manager shouldn't be that hard. And so I got so excited and I remember I put it on my vision board being a being a company manager. I remember going to a, a cabaret show actually in Sydney at a place called Slide and the whole cast of Jersey Boys was there. And a week later, I got a call saying, hey, we're, Clint, we've got an opening for a company manager of Jersey Boys. Do you want the job? And um, it was so incredible. I get goosebumps talking about it because for me, this was my dream, my absolute dream job. I thought this was going to be the thing that made me happy and life would be tremendous. And uh, I took the job and uh, it it was a huge, it, it was a highly disappointing experience. Um, and I was, I was crushed, not because of the experience but because like I thought this was going to be my life like I thought what I had been doing and 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 the businesses and running my dance studio and dance life and being an agent like I thought all of that experience was leading me to this moment of you know being a company manager and and touring around the world and being you know working on these big productions and then going to Broadway and doing the same thing and I was like this I really don't like this job. And I, you know, I left the production and I was, you know, for six months, I, I was like lost. I was like, what, like, what am I going to do now? Cause like, that's, that's the thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life or so I thought. And so I very quickly had to reimagine and get really clear around what it was going to be that was going to bring me that joy and happiness in a, in a brand new chapter. Quite a scary place to be as well. I'm imagining in terms of when you, you think you're on the path of pursuing your dream and then it almost smacks you in the face of actually, this isn't quite what I thought it would be. What, what did you learn through that process, looking back now, what, what did you learn from that that you can sort of pass on as, as advice to our listeners? I learned that it's important to really allow your truth to bubble up to the surface. I think so, so often we frequently suppress how we're feeling or our truth because, well, I did that university degree and so I need to be in this job or I'm not going to be able to make money or I've got this lifestyle and I've got a family to support or I can't move because all my family are here or, you know, I think often we have like these little, little niggles, you know, at our heart or in our brain and, and we kind of think to ourselves, hmm, like what, what is that? What is that? But we don't allow it the space to fully kind of come up and out of us and for us to deal 
with that emotion and uh, like grief or sadness. And I was feeling all of those things around Jersey Boys for for quite a few months um, because I had tied up my identity around this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be and this is what I'm going to do. And in a few months, you know, I was with the show for nine months, but a few months in I was like, this, this is not the place for me. This is not the job for me. I'd sold my business. I left Harry and Miller. My life was really good before Jersey Boys. Um, and then I had this experience that wasn't in alignment with what I thought it would. And so I had to, I had to kind of set that truth free and, and know that I was going to be disappointed. And in this, in this space of unknowing of what is kind of the next thing. And I just allowed myself that space for six months. And I worked at a pool, you know, zapping people in who were members at the pool. I came up with an idea around a matchmaking agency. Look, I did so many random things during those six months. But again, all of those things kind of led me to, to the next chapter. And that's what I love about life is at the time, you can't, you can't see how the dots are joining up. But then as you get to the next chapter and you look back, you see this beautiful, often not a straight line, but this beautiful pattern of, of how the dots in your different experiences have brought you to this new place in life. I couldn't agree more. And, and what's quite interesting right now with, with where we're at in the world, you know, we're recording this towards the end of uh, 2020. You know, there's a, a many people that I'm speaking to in my world that are, are starting to question what's next, uh, feeling some feeling quite um, unsettled with the fact, you said it, that their identity has for so long been caught up in what they do. Um, what what did you you mentioned there that you almost surrendered to the time and space for six months and you tried a few things out um again it's easy to say but hard to do um how how did you do that can you you know if you were to think of this is what you did and and the advice that again that you would give to help people surrender and to find that space do you have any tips or anything you would advise yeah. our listeners yeah. So the first thing is you've got to consciously make space in your day. You know, I know people that have been furloughed, who have been laid off, who are out of work at the moment. And, and they say to me, I, I'm just keeping myself busy. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you can do at the moment. And I know that it makes you feel better in the, in, in that moment, but you've got to allow space, space to be curious space to like go for a walk, space to like read something you wouldn't read or watch a movie you normally wouldn't watch and, and be, be curious, walk, walk around the world or your apartment or your house, depending on where you are. And if you can go outside, but just be curious about the world. And I think that that allows your mind to open and to explore what could potentially be the next step for you or the next thing for you. And uh, I have a lot of white space in my calendar because I love, there's a great book called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. And he talks a lot about this notion of thinking time. And he's got a lot of different um, questions in the book to ask yourself, predominantly about business, but he's like, take 30 minutes and journal, you know, ask yourself these questions and, and write your answers out. And for me, uh, I've done that for a very long time. And for me, that's been a really great starting point if I'm feeling restless or unsure or I don't know the next step. I go straight to drawing or writing it out. 
and, you know, listening to material, podcasts like this or reading books or watching films or, you know, jumping on and watching talks on YouTube to kind of spark that curiosity and, and see what comes out of it. But it's also about not putting pressure on yourself. And I feel like that is really hard at the moment because people have bills to pay and if they're out of work or their business isn't, you know, achieving the level of success that it was before the pandemic hit, you know, there's obligations that that you still have, but there's so much amazingness that can come out of just having that unstructured time to sit and think and and wonder. So that was the first step for me. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I'm just going to get a job. And there was like an ad at the local pool greeting customers. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like I can, I can do that. Like I miss people. And from there I did that. Then I came up with an idea for a matchmaking agency and I pitched it. I emailed the general manager at RSVP, which is the dating website at the time. And I said, hey, I've got this really cool idea. Let's have a meeting. I think you guys should should get in on it. I had no idea who she was. I just found her email address and sent her an email. And she's like, oh, come in, let's talk about it. And I pitched my idea. She said, it's one of the worst ideas I've heard, but you're, I like you and you've had a lot of great experience and our live events, our live events have really taken a big dive since these dating apps have come on board. Would you be interested in consulting to us to rebuild our live events? And uh, I started rebuilding, rebuilding the live, the live singles events at RSVP, which was like the best time uh, for, for about 12 months. I think I was consulting to them. It was meant to be a couple of months. It turned into 12 and, uh, and then, you know, the journey continues with more consulting work and which eventually led to, led to where I am. And so just get curious and be open and get out of that box that you might've put yourself in, which is what I did with Jersey boys. I thought, here's my box. This is what I'm going to do. And I had to step out of it and get curious around what else could there be for me out there. I love that. And I think, uh, just listening to you talk and share, the action that you took, you know, you, you, you pretty much epitomize that whole essence of curiosity of, of giving things a go. And, you know, we look at what you've built now, you've, you've founded the Dance Studio Owners Association, uh, one of the largest online education platforms around the globe. I think I read somewhere you've influenced how many students was it? Oh, it was so we like- do 800,000, 800,000 children a week uh, that we get to that we get to impact with our incredible studio owners. So yeah, we work with about 35,000, just over 35,000 studio owners. Um, and it is, it's incredible, you know, especially now because now everyone needs dance and a smile and joy and music in their life. And although it has shifted, our studio owners have shifted the way that they, they do things. It's still a very, uh, for me, it's an essential service for these children. Yeah, and it and it started again with an idea. Can you can you remember? Did that idea start here in Australia, or was it? It, did. it definitely, yeah. yeah, it definitely started back at the Swiss Hotel where you and I were hanging <laughs> out, Janine, doing our doing our mentoring sessions. But when I was in this kind of loss period, and I started, uh, you know, I started working at the pool, you know, doing the memberships. I I still wanted to teach. And I had helped a couple of studio owners when I had my last business dance life, you know, just unofficially like, Hey, can I pick your brain? Like more of that type of stuff. And 
uh, I, I came across one of my friends was like, oh, you should check, check out Matt Church from Thought Leaders. So I went along to one of Matt's sessions and um, kind of learned about intellectual property and being a thought leader. And I, I just kind of started creating my intellectual property and selling one-on-one mentoring packages to help people get more clients and customers. And it wasn't purely dance studio owners. I, to be honest with you, I wanted to avoid dance studio owners because I was really burnt out from the Jersey Boys experience. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this industry at the moment. I want to work with other people. And so I worked with gyms and graphic designers and lawyers and accountants to help them get new clients. And then a couple of studio owners came knocking on my door and they're like, will you help me? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And um, I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, I know I know exactly what you're going through because I was a studio owner and had worked with so many in my previous business. And uh, I'm really helping you. Like you're getting really great results. And I was making a whole bunch of it up at the beginning and testing stuff out. And then I just got more and more and more studio owners and I decided six years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go all in on the niche of dance studio owners and I'm going to do an experiment and I'm going to give it a year. I was very afraid, Janine, because I was mm-hmm. like, there's not many studio owners out there. I don't know if they have any money to pay me. I, I was not feeling overly confident with this decision, but I treated it like an experiment. And that's what I do now with a lot of things. It's like, hey, let's do it for a year. If it doesn't work out, I can go back helping everyone get new customers through the door. And so I put the stick in the sand and said, peace out all you other people that are not dance studio owners. I'm just going to work with dance studio owners and I'm going to take all of the stuff that I've been teaching one-on-one and package it up into an online training program and I'm going to sell it to as many people as I can. And, And that was kind of the birth of our online education company for the studio owners. And it's just phenomenal to have watched, to have seen and watched the growth. So I think you said there are 35,000 dance studio owners now are part of this incredible tribe and community that you've built. What, what have, and you're absolutely helping them unleash their brilliance. Um, so it's like, to me, it's, it's this, you know, I'm on this mission to unleash brilliance in 10 million people over the next 10 years. Um, and you unleashing your brilliance has enabled you to impact 35,000 dance studio owners, 800,000 students. You know, this multiplier effect is phenomenal. Um, but when you think about starting out as with that big decision to go niche, I'm imagining there were doubters around you as well as supporters. Um, and six years later, you're, you're here. Again, what, what have you learned about yourself through that process? Wow, so much. I mean, it it has definitely been a journey because during this process, you know, I packed up my life in Sydney and I moved to the US uh, three and a half years ago. And the reason around that was purely because I love New York City and I, I could work from anywhere and I wanted to be here where there were more studio owners. You know, Australia has about 6,000. Uh, in the US here, we have about 53,000. So it was definitely a bigger market and I, and I wanted to test it out again. It was a year experiment. I could always go back to Sydney, um, you know, and I, and I haven't left. So, you know, one of the, one of the core things that I've learned during building this business and, and this company now with, with team is that the customer experience 
and the journey that you take your customers on and the value that you deliver and the service you provide should be at the absolute core of your business. If you talk to my team, they will tell you that I am quite obsessed with the customer experience from our emails to our onboarding sequences, to how people go through our training programs and our coaching. Uh, That is what wakes me up in the middle of the night. That is what gets me up early in the morning, fired up to start my day is how can we impact our customers through an incredible experience. And I think that is definitely a reason why we have grown quickly. It's a reason why we keep our customers and have really great retention in our business is because that is at the core. And I see a lot of people who are so focused on new customers, but they lose sight of keeping their existing customers. And so we have really focused on that. So I have I have learned over these last six years with DSOA that that is a reason why we have been uh, winning and and you know achieving success in the business, but also success through our members' results as well. Uh, the second the second piece that I have learned is about leadership. Uh, Got to be honest, when I started this business, I did not want a team. Um, I remember saying to my mentor, "I want one virtual assistant and me, and I never want more." I'd never want to work with more people because for me, I had this story of team equals headaches and frustration and uh, annoyance and all of the bad things that you can imagine when we think, when we think about team. And I remember meeting a mentor uh, after that. And he said, Clint, if you want to build a million dollar company, and that was my goal at the time to have a million dollar company, which is the number that I, you know, kind of plucked out. He's like, you're going to need a team. Otherwise, you're going to be really burned out. And you're going to hate what you do. And uh, that made me go, okay, I need to I need to build a team. And building a team has been th- one of the most challenging things I've done in life um, and continues to be an incredibly challenging piece of our business. I adore our team. They're phenomenal. Um, you know, but I'm a typical kind of crazy entrepreneur that has extremely high standards and high expectations. And, you know, people often don't meet them. And so I've got to kind of self-manage myself on that as well as be uh, a leader uh, for them. And so that that has been really, uh, really challenging, but also very rewarding. I really want to just Dig deep, dig a little deeper on that conversation there about team. You as a leader, as well as you know, you've got this this wonderful uh, leadership versus entrepreneur and everything in between. Over those six years of of discovering that you know you are the founder, the CEO, uh, you're creating fellowship both amongst your clients, your customers, as well as your team. What, what have you learned about yourself that you've gone, you know what, this, actually, this bit isn't my bit. I need someone else to do this bit. Um, <laughs> you know, well, because you can't be all things to all people. You and I'm imagining like, part of that decision of growing is a realisation of what you're actually not so good at. Yeah, this is, this is great. I actually just had a, a group coaching call around this a little earlier. Uh, 
you know, when I started the business, my philosophy was no one can do it as good as me, right? Like I, I can do it all. Uh, no one can do it to my standard across everything. And as I started growing the business, uh, I quickly started identifying those things that, you know, I was competent at, but like I didn't enjoy, I just didn't enjoy doing it. And so I started delegating those things. And as you start delegating and you start like loosen, loosening kind of the, the reins a little bit and, and giving up some control and putting the systems and processes in place so that things don't break uh, along the way, uh, I, I just started loving delegating the stuff that I hated. And, uh, and that's really how the team grew. The team grew because I was sick of doing stuff and I was like, hey, who can, who can do Facebook ads? Because I don't want to do Facebook ads. Hey, who can create this content? Who can write the email newsletters? Uh, who can manage our events now? And I just started bringing in people to help with all of that. But it all didn't kind of come together until I uh, found our uh, operations director nearly two years ago. At that point, I was straddling COO, chief operating officer, as well as the CEO. And I was like, I was, I was like ready to just fire everyone and close the business because I was like, I'm sick of dealing with you all. I'm sick of telling you the same thing and you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. And I'm presenting and creating all the content. I was just, I was done. And uh, one of my friends said like, you need an operations director. And I was like, you know, I've tried project managers. They've never worked out. And I spent about four or five months doing this whole hiring process for an operations director um, and brought her on board nearly two years ago. And it it has been challenging, but it has been incredible because I, I am now so freed up that I get to do about 90% of the work that I do now is what I love, which is coaching, creating content, working with our members, you know, talking to speakers for our retreats, all of that, all of that great stuff. And so I'm in a, I'm in a really great place. I occasionally dip back in to work with the team and it's, you know, I like go through like a tornado and then our operations director has to clean it up. Um, But the, the structure that we put in place is, uh, her and I work very closely together and then she works with the team. So she is like my second, my second brain. And we can have that kind of structure because we have a small, we have a very small, mighty team. And so I don't need kind of different levels of leadership in different departments because we, we're pretty flat but I, I talk directly to her and she works, she works with our, with our core team members, which has been incredible. Oh, it sounds perfect. I'll be, I'll be coming to you in the next few years for advice on how you found that person, I reckon. Um, but just again, there's some, some awesome insights there in terms of getting to know yourself, um, you know, making sure you replace your weaknesses with someone else's strength in that area, that willingness to let go, to grow. Um, there's so many awesome, awesome bits in there. Um, so, so this, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. What, what does that concept mean to you, Clint? Unleashing brilliance is really around a solid and fierce belief in yourself. Like if I think to myself every time that I have 
made a move or a pivot or I've listened to my truth and I've acted on it, I've only gotten to where I am because I have this unwavering belief in what I can do and and what I can achieve. And I think that, like for me, that I, I love the belief from my mentors and my coaches that I work with in, in my ability and what I can achieve. I think that's important, but nothing beats that feeling inside of like, you know what, I've got this, I can do this, I can get through this, I can achieve my goals. Like that is that is crucial. And I think when you have that, then you can fully unleash your brilliance in a big, massive way that creates the version of success that you're after. Where did that belief come from, do you think? Um, you know, do you, were you born with it? Is it something that you you learnt um, from from all the research interviews that I've done um, with people? And I write about this in my latest book. You know, so many of us are striving and proving and striving and proving. But there's this moment, I believe, this tipping point of where you stop striving and proving, and it becomes more of flow. It becomes more around the belief. Can you remember when that happened, or have you always been like that? Uh, I think, I don't remember the exact time that it would happen. I think it's really just the journey of what I went through in school and then, you know, going going through school as this, you know, male dancer who then, you know, came out as gay in a country town and just everything, you know, all, all of those chapters of my life leading up to uh, the work that we do now and, and and how I am in the world now, I think that all contributes because you keep you keep moving through and getting through things. And I think that that makes you stronger and you're like, well, if I got through that, I can get through this. And you just keep reminding yourself. And that's the other thing, like being able to look back and remind yourself of the things that you've overcome, that you've worked at, that you've achieved, that you've learn lessons from, I, I think all of those experience continue to add add to the person that you are. And I think along the way, belief has been one of those things that that has built up. Mm. Yeah, that's great. What's next, Clint? What are you what are, what what is next for DSOA, the impact that you're making, the contribution? That, that you hope this this organization is having on the planet look what's next is is really is really interesting at the moment you know with our company we continue to grow our our membership which means we get to increase those numbers of the people that we are impacting which is so exciting I'm working on some uh, other creative projects in this in this space in the dance and entertainment space which is really, uh, which is great. I love being creative. You know, when you kind of step into the role of the, the CEO, you're really working that left brain. And I, I love to jump into my right brain. So doing more creative projects inside of our company is, is exciting. And, and, and really just living a life that is on kind of my terms and in alignment with what success looks like for me, you know, in my twenties, I was very driven by money and bigger and better 
And, and that changed, you know, once I hit a million dollars in the business a few years ago and we've kept, you know, we've kept growing it. I started to think more about family, my family, spending time with family, giving back, traveling, you know, being present with my partner, uh, and, and looking after my health. You know, it's been a big journey over these last three and a half years since I moved to the U S um, I've really, there was some things that I wanted to give up, uh, and, and I like diet Pepsi and alcohol and coffee. And, uh, I, I now am, you know, eat whole food plant-based like a vegan, uh, a vegan diet now. And there was things that I wanted to change. And so, um, it's not all about business anymore. And, and I feel a lot more well-rounded in, in like this kind of 360 view of my life. When I look at all the pillars of life, they all kind of hover around around the same level versus business being high and everything else being low. And uh, I'm I'm enjoying this this uh, this evolution. If we could um, invite your nan to join us on this podcast right now, what would you say to her? I would say thank you. I mean, first and foremost, thank you for, she was the, the main person in my life at that time when I started dancing and choir, who was just incredibly supportive and proud of what I was doing. You know, I, I was always classed as like the favorite. I was the favorite grandchild. And, um, you know, and I grew up, uh, my mom was a single mom and so I spent a bit of time, you know, with my nan when my mom had to go and do things and she worked a couple of jobs, you know, she was paying for my dance classes. I mean, my mom worked incredibly hard, which meant I got to spend quite a bit of time with my nan and she was my biggest cheerleader and I know she still is. And so I would say a big thank you and give her a big hug. Tell her that I miss her, but I think about her every single day and she is, she still continues you know, nearly 20 years later still continues to impact my life on, uh, on a daily basis, which is incredible. Mm. I want to say thank you to your nan too for unleashing, unlocking that spark of brilliance, which um, I was lucky enough to see eight, nine years ago. And now so many kids and so many studio owners and so many people that you are impacting every day are starting to recognize. Um, Clint Salter, you are an inspiration. Um, thank goodness you found your niche. And uh, I cannot wait to see what you do next over these, these next 10 years. Thanks so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure, Janine. Thanks so much for your time. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.